Good morning. I think each week I'm getting a little bit faster at getting up, setting down my laptop, opening my Bible. Um, it's a little bit of a time trial I do with myself. Anyway, <laughs> good morning. It's good to be here on this uh, snowy January 2022 morning, and it's good to be back. Um, just as, as a personal note to start off this morning, um, I just want to say thanks uh, for allowing me to be here for these past weeks. Um, it's really been a, a blessing and a pleasure to, to look into God's word with you. Um, so yeah, I, I look forward to being back and visiting or, or serving again at some point. This morning, I wanted us to continue to look at the book of Luke, even the early chapters of the book of Luke at Luke 3, um, particularly the character of John the Baptist, who we kind of wrapped around in looking at Zechariah. Um, but this is, of course, Zechariah's son, the one we saw uh, who was promised to prepare the way for Jesus, and more specifically, even the, the teachings of John the Baptist. So what I want to do is actually read a good bit of narrative out of Luke 3, and then we'll, we'll focus in on some specific verses, some of the teachings of John, starting in Luke 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So three things, sort of an outline for this week, three things that I hope that we can take from this passage into this next year, into 2022. 
The first is this, that repentance is central to the gospel and center, central to the Christian life. Repentance is central to the gospel and central to the Christian life. The second is that our religion or our faith even can trick us, can make us presumptuous and unrepentant. Our faith can trick us, can make us presumptuous and unrepentant. And three, the fruit of repentance is obedience to Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself with charity, integrity, and justice. So that's where we're going this morning. I managed to pick a lot of words that were hard to say, so something tells me I'll uh, get a little bit tongue-tied this morning. But our first point, repentance is central to the gospel and central to Christian life. John calls the people that come out to be baptized by him to bear fruits in keeping with repentance, right? Or in other words, we might say to build their lives, their works, upon repentance, upon the foundation of repentance. And so the first thing that John calls people to is repentance, right? His ministry was the baptism of repentance. And this is not just John, or not simply John. The very first words of Jesus recorded in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, say this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is repentance? Right? What is this foundational piece of the gospel and of our lives in Christ? It's a question worth asking again. What is repentance? I think a literal or maybe wooden translation or definition of the word repentance would be to undergo a change in frame of mind or feeling. To undergo a change in frame of mind or feeling. Repentance is a realization, a shift in perspective, or even a shift in our guiding principles. So that's repentance generally. But repentance specifically, repentance before God, is to realize our need for Christ's mercy and to sorrow over and renounce sin. Repentance before God is to realize our need for Christ's mercy and to sorrow over and renounce sin. Right? It's to undergo a change in frame of mind or feeling, to go from pride and sin and self-sufficiency and self-definition to humility, to dependence on God and to submission to Jesus as Lord. It's to say, God, I need you. I need your mercy. Right? Repentance is going from saying, I am my own. I am the maker of my own identity. To saying, I am yours. And I am who you say I am. So repentance is to realize our need for God's mercy. And I think that definition is important. Because repentance as a realization or a shift is something that happens and then continues, right? I think sometimes we fall into a trap of thinking of repentance as a moment that happened in the past, but that is no longer present or in effect in the Christian life, right? If you, if you shift your perspective, you don't wake up the next morning without that shift, <laughs> right? So I think we, we fall into that trap. We fall into it as seeing something that seeing repentance as something that happened and not something that is happening. I think of repentance 
as a spiritual posture, right? As an analogy, you could say that repentance is like kneeling before God, and that once you kneel before God, from that point on, you're either kneeling or you're not kneeling. You're either repentant or unrepentant. You're either in that posture or you're not. So repentance continues into the Christian life. It's a held posture before God. I actually, I heard a, a sermon on repentance a long time ago. A pastor named Sundar Krishnan from Rexdale Alliance Church in Toronto came to visit Tyndale while I was there and preach at a chapel. And he gave an analogy of the Christian life that I've never forgotten. He said that the Christian life is um, a growing realization of two things. Right? The Christian life is two things. It's as we walk through the Christian life, God gets holier and more righteous and purer and higher and higher and higher in our eyes. That the longer we know God, the, the holier he becomes in our sight. And that the, the longer we know God, the, the worse we become in our own eyes. That our, our, our sin and our depravity come out more and more as we grow in the Christian life. And so actually, as we walk through the Christian life, God, as God gets higher and we get lower in our own eyes, the gap between us and God grows. And the Christian life, in the Christian life, the cross has to grow to fill that gap. Right? As we walk through the Christian life, the cross becomes more and more significant. As our understanding of God's holiness and our sin deepens and intensifies, so must our repentance and our clinging to the cross. I love that in the verse that we read from Mark, Jesus pairs repentance and faith, right? First we repent, and then we believe in the power of his cross to save us, right? We realize our need, and then we trust him to fill it. We repent and believe. So repentance is central to the gospel and central to the Christian life. Our first point this morning. Our second point this morning, our religion or our faith can trick us, can make us presumptuous and unrepentant. I think one of the clear messages of the Gospels, particularly as you see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees or other religious, or hear John interacting with a religious people, is that false or hypocritical faith, presumptuous faith, is both dangerous and widespread. A presumptuous faith is both dangerous and widespread. In our text this morning, right, John says, do not begin to, your, to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, tree therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What does this mean? I think it means that the people coming to be baptized by John had tricked themselves. They tricked themselves into thinking that because of their heritage, because of their family status, because of their national identity, that they were safe. That they were in, that they were it. They assumed they were in the clear. But because of that religious presumption, they were neglecting repentance and obedience, right? 
Their religion, their faith tricked them. By the way, I looked up the definition of the word presume, and one of the definitions is, this is a lot of words, but it's to unjustifiably regard as entitling one to privileges. To unjustifiably regard as entitling one to privileges. So in saying that the crowd was presumptuous, we're saying that they unjustifiably regarded themselves as entitled to the privilege of being God's people. They unjustifiably regarded themselves as entitled to the privilege of being God's people while they neglected repentance and faith. And what the New Testament makes clear is that as Christians, we can face a very similar danger. Right? That like, much like the Jews before John presumed on their family status, the outward sign or symbol of their faith. As Christians, we can fall into error, presuming upon God's goodness and grace to us, while actually neglecting repentance and obedience. As Christians, we can fall into error and presuming upon God's goodness and grace to us while actually neglecting repentance and obedience. Paul discusses this danger in the book of Romans, this danger of religious pride or presumption. He speaks to to Christians who were judgmental, um, yet disobedient and unrepentant themselves. It says in Romans 2.4, Paul says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Here's where we're going. I hope that at the beginning of this year that we can pause and ask ourselves this question, this question that Paul asks the Romans, that we can invert or or switch out the pronouns and just ask, do I presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead me to repentance? Am I tricking myself into believing I have the privileges of God's grace, but without repentance? Am I trying to take advantage of God's goodness, but neglecting obedience? Am I attempting to have Jesus as my Savior, but neglecting him as my Lord? And those are tough questions. But it's consistent with the Christian faith to ask that type of question, right? We're encouraged in the New Testament to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's a the verse of an old hymn. It says just this. Tis a point I long to know. Oft it causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I his or am I not? The writer and preacher writing about this hymn, A.W. Tozer, sorry, writing about this hymn. He said this, We had better not be too cocksure, or which is just means arrogant. The gravest question any of us face is whether we do or do not love the Lord. Too much hinges on the answer to pass the matter off lightly. It is a question that no one can answer for another. Not even the Bible can tell the individual man that he loves the Lord. It can only tell him how he can know whether or not he does. 
It can and does tell us how to test our hearts for love, as a man might test ore for the presence of uranium. But we must do the testing. Our Lord told his disciples that love and obedience were organically united, that the keeping of his sayings would prove that we loved him, and the failure or refusal to keep them would prove that we did not. So our second point, our faith can trick us. So I think that we ought to come to God often to analyze our hearts and our actions and to ask God to show us where we stand before him. And by the way, part of the reason I felt that this message fit with this Sunday is because I think it's a healthy rhythm to start the year with these types of questions. The message that I heard from Sundar Krishnan uh, on repentance many years ago, he said that his church established a rhythm of repentance at the beginning of each January. And we need to ask ourselves whether our lives demonstrate that obedience to Jesus. So that's our that's our second point, that our faith can trick us. First point, that repentance is central to the gospel and central to the Christian life. And the second point is that our faith can trick us. It can make us presumptuous and unrepentant. Our third point, that the fruit of repentance is obedience to Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself with charity, integrity, and justice. Let's, let's look into our text starting in verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came out to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So we saw John give the crowd a harsh word of exhortation. He calls them a brood of vipers. He tells them that they're not living their faith out genuinely. And so the crowd asked John, what is, what's next then? What do we do? And he offers this threefold answer. First, to the crowd, generally, John tells people to be radically charitable, right? To sacrifice for the sake of others. And then to the tax collector, John warns them not, warns them not to misuse their position, but to act with integrity. And to the soldiers, John warns them not to misuse their power, but to act justly and to be content in what they have. Right? So the fruits of repentance that John is looking for could be summarized as charity, integrity, and justice. And maybe as a deeper summary or as, a, as the principle behind those things, we can see the fruit of repentance as obedience to Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself, to give radically of yourself. There was a man named Shane Claiborne who for a time lived and worked alongside Mother Teresa. Um, and he wrote this. 
He said, Mother Teresa was one of those people who sacrificed great privilege because she encountered such great need. People often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo. She was short, wrinkled, and precious, maybe even a little ornery, like a beautiful, wise old granny. But there is one thing I will never forget, her feet. Her feet were deformed. Each morning in mass, I would stare at them. I wondered if she had contracted leprosy, but I wasn't going to ask, of course. Hey, mother, what's wrong with your feet? One day, a sister said to us, have you noticed her feet? We nodded, curious. She said, her feet are deformed because we get just enough donated shoes for everyone. And mother does not want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair. So she digs through and finds them. And years of doing that have deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself deformed her feet. So if you want a picture of what the fruits of repentance look like, I hope you can take with you the mental image of Mother Teresa's deformed feet and that we can go in this, into this year inspired to give of ourselves to sacrifice for others. I think, to be honest, I wasn't sure even yesterday how I was going to conclude this sermon time. And I was reflecting on my notes, and I was worried that this message about the teachings of John, this message about repentance, would seem purely condemning or heavy-handed. And God showed me actually one of the verses that we already looked at. It's in Romans 2, where Paul says that God is rich in kindness forbearance and patience. And I think God asked me to not forget his kindness. Right? Because this call for repentance takes place in the context of the gospel where Jesus comes to live perfectly and to die for us. It takes place in the context of the tender mercy of God. So we can't forget God's kindness. I hope that we can all enter this year remembering that the story of the gospel is a story of a God who chose to love us in spite of our sin. As it says in Romans 5, that God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So I hope that we can enter this year knowing that God is patient with us and that God desires us to reach repentance. That he desires you, that he desires to know you and to fill you. And as was already said this morning, I hope that we can enter this year giving significant time to God, to just looking at Jesus at all that he did to save us, at the depth of his care for us. And I, I pray that that would lead us to a posture of repentance. And that out of that posture, we would bear the fruits of repentance in loving our neighbors. Let's pray together. God, we desire to love you well this year, to seek you and to know you. 
we remember and we proclaim that you are worthy of our obedience in 2022. Would you help us to grow in repentance this year? Would you show us more of your holiness and our sin? And would that drive us to rely on and love your cross like we never have before? And Father, we repent of too often taking advantage of your kindness and patience. Would you help us to sincerely repent and walk in obedience? Would you send us your spirit to help us and to comfort us, to assure us of our salvation in you? And Father, would you help us to love our neighbors as ourselves? Would you help us to sacrifice for the sake of those around us, to follow in your example of considering others more than we consider ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.